Welcome to Mike's Notes. Today I wanted to touch on a few big ideas that I recently picked up from Richard Fowler's book Misbehaving. Misbehaving is a really nice book because it talks about Fowler's history as he became a behavioral economist, but it also talks about what some of the big ideas are, like the endowment effect and what is transaction utility, and how those things came into be. That is, like, what were the sequence of research studies and reports that got us to that point? I chose to read this book for two reasons. One, it was convenient, because I got this as a holiday gift, and two, because it would pair really nicely with Thinking Fast and Slow, which I'm also reading right now. And in Thaler's book, Misbehaving, there's this nice section in the middle where he talks about his experience advising the owner of the Greek Peak Ski Resort. And in Thaler's advice to the owner of the ski resort, there are three things I wanted to touch on. One, what is transaction utility and why is it important for consumers? Two, what is mental accounting and how does that apply to people who are selling goods and services? And three, what is positive association and how can we use that in the way we present information? Ready? One. Transaction utility, as defined by Thaler, is, quote, the difference between the price actually paid for the object and the price one would normally pay, end quote. So it's when you get a bargain and when you get a ripoff. And as soon as I read this part of the book, I immediately thought about going to a theater or an amusement park or any other place where you pay admittance to get in. And the prices on drinks and food in those places is always higher. It always seems like a ripoff. You don't feel like you get much transaction utility from the price. And I compare that to things like maybe booking airline to go to an amusement park or a theme park, or uh, when people will buy clothes and they'll say that they got a good deal on it. And Thaler points out that people account for things based on the transaction utility and the acquisition utility. So it's that you need the thing and the thing that you want is valuable, but you also want to get a good deal on it. He saw this as a problem with the Greek peak, which wasn't necessarily as good as some other nearby resorts. They didn't have as many lifts, and their hills maybe weren't as high, they didn't have as good as snow, so if you were to compare them, they didn't seem as good as some of the other options. And this was a problem because the Greek peak needed to raise their prices. They needed to increase what people paid for lift tickets so that they wouldn't have to borrow as much money and they could service the debt they had taken on. So what does Thaler suggest they do at the Greek peak to increase the transaction utility to make people feel like they got a good deal? Well, they did two things. One is that they had a slalom course that was originally uh, something you had to pay a couple dollars for. And you would pay your money and uh, the course would time you and then you would get to the bottom of the run and you would see your time. Well, they decided to make that free. And so they could advertise on their brochures that they had this free thing. What they also uh, decided to do was to give video ski lessons from the instructors. So there were always some ski instructors who were giving lessons, but they weren't always busy. So the idea was is that the mountain could set up a camera somewhere on the slope 
And if a skier stopped in view of that camera, they would get a signal from the light or from some other mechanism, and they would ski down the mountain. And then when they got to the bottom, an instructor would be there and offer them tips about something they could do better. And so by adding free ski lessons via this video system and free slalom runs on the side, they increased the transaction utility. They could raise their prices, but people also felt like they were getting more. This reminds me a lot of the Disney system. My wife and I are big fans of Walt Disney World, and so are our kids. We're going back again in 2017. And because we've been there many times, so people will sometimes ask us questions and seek advice about how to go to Disney, and we often talk about Disney trips with other people. One thing that people always mention is they got a good deal because they got the free meal package, or they got fast passes for certain things. And the free meal program is an okay deal, but it's not a good as, as good of a deal as if you get a discount on your room. But people don't necessarily see that because they think that it's free and they think of the money they would take out of their pocket to pay for those meals. And they don't compute that in the same way that people compute what it costs to charge a hotel room to your credit card. Eventually, a business is going to want to raise their prices, and they need to do something to create transa transaction utility for their different customers. At the Greek peak, they added things in that the locals would enjoy, but they also raised their prices for out-of-towners. This wasn't as big of a deal because, just like the Disney example, if you add $100 to a vacation that already costs $900, that's not that big of a difference than if you add a proportional amount to a one-day lift ticket. People feel changes like that less based on how much they're paying out of their pocket. And Disney does much the same thing. For locals, if you have an annual pass to Disney, there are certain advantages that you can go and you can uh, get discounts at the restaurants, you can get free parking and things like that. So just like the Greek peak allowed locals to have a gradual price increase and allowed them to have access to extra things, Disney does much the same thing too. Anytime someone pays for something, they're getting multiple things from that transaction. They're getting the acquisition utility. They're getting the thing they wanted, but there's also this component of transaction utility. People want to feel like they got a bargain or a good deal, and they don't want to feel like they got ripped off. That was a really interesting observation from Thaler. Two. Mental accounting and the way people account for things mentally was also really interesting. Thaler noticed that people tend to account for things in a really simple way. As an example, people given the proposition that they had a speeding ticket earlier in the week were more likely to go to a concert than people who had gone to a movie earlier in the week. The theory is, is that the moviegoers had already spent some of their entertainment budget but in reality, a dollar is a dollar. But we don't really account for things that way. We have these buckets that money seems to come from. And if we've noticed a decrease in one bucket or an activity in one bucket, we tend to shy away from using that. Fowler's advice to the Greek peak played on this mental accounting shortcut or shorthand that people tend to do. He suggested they sell a 10-pack to the locals, five weekday tickets, five weekend tickets. And when you have people buy things ahead of time, when they go to use the thing that they've already bought, whether it's a membership or it's a 10-pack of tickets or something like that, they tend to view that experience as free or discounted. And they don't factor in the real price of what the membership or the ticket packet cost. 
I see this when we go to the Toledo Zoo, the nearest zoo to where we live, and we often end up buying our lunch there. I hate eating out at places like zoos or airports or fast food restaurants because they almost have they almost never have the thing that I really want to eat, but we end up eating out at those places because of this simple mental accounting. We feel that our trip to the zoo was free. We didn't pay for parking, even though there was a $7 parking sign. We didn't pay to go in the zoo. We didn't pay for uh, maybe some promotional items that they're offering for members only. So we feel like this trip to the Toledo Zoo is free, but it's not. We've already paid for it. And yet we act like it's free when we buy our lunch at the crappy little cafeteria. So even though money is fungible, a dollar is a dollar is a dollar is a dollar, we don't treat it that way in our mental accounting. We take these other mental steps, these easier shortcuts, where we think, have I spent from this? If I have, don't act. If I haven't, do act. And we act according to those rules. This was another interesting human quirk that Thaler noted. Three. Besides the 10 packs for locals, the ski resort offered a six pack to the college students that were in the area. And this reminded me a lot of the positive associations and the system one thinking that Danny Kahneman writes about in Thinking Fast and Slow. Kahneman points out that system one, that is our immediate reactions, the system that's always running, the system that kept you alive on the savannah, tends to like to find confirmation and easy associations. System one likes to notice that everything is as it should be, and only unless it gets tripped up does it send something for further scrutinization for what Kahneman calls system two. It's almost like a Jedi mind trick. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. And as a real quick and dirty example, that kind of works. System one likes to confirm and positively compare things, and it doesn't do much work beyond that. Fowler wrote this about the six-pack. Quote, I suspect that the students also liked the fact that the deal was called a six-pack. Even subtle beer references appeal to the college crowd. End quote. So we have this positive association in that system one will okay this as a good thing because it associates it with something the college students think is a good thing. Which brings us to the big question. Cue up Metallica. So what? So what? So what? So what's the big point? And the big point is this. In each of these three areas that Thaler has pointed out and articulated, and that we've re related to other ideas and domains, we get to the big point, which is this. Reference classes matter. Expectations matter. Everybody enters a situation or a relation or a condition with some expectation of what's going to happen. And they're going to compare what happened to what they thought would happen. People will not make logical conclusions about what happened. Much of Richard Thaler's book, Misbehaving, is about how people fail to make choices as a rational economic theory predicts. People try to avoid risk and take the sure thing when it comes to gains. To put it another way, people would rather have a sure $10 than a flip of a coin for $22. On the other hand, people will seek risks when it comes to avoiding losses. They'll take the coin flip if it's a losing money rather than gaining it. 
Losses and gains too have to have a reference point. A loss compared to what? A gain compared to what? Fowler's most well-known study, I think, is his demonstration of the endowment effect of coffee mugs, and it also gets this idea of reference class, or what people expect. The study went like this. Fowler wants to see how much people value something they have. That's our reference point, the thing you have. One day, Thaler goes to the college bookstore and buys mugs for half his class. He walks into the classroom, passes out a mug to every other student. To those students, he asks what their selling price is. At what dollar amount would they give up their mug to someone else in the class? To those without a mug, he asks them their buying price. What would they take out of their bag to pay for a brand new, never used mug with the Cornell logo on the side? He found that the average buying price was $275. That is, the people who didn't have a mug were willing to pay $275 to get one. The average selling price was $525. That is, the people who had the mugs wanted twice as much as what the buyers were offering. This demonstration of the endowment effect shows that people can immediately form an attachment and increase the value of the thing. To rephrase it to fit this reference point idea, the students with mugs formed a new reference point immediately upon receiving the mug. Now, as I read Thaler's book, it was fun, it was enjoyable to see these mistakes that other people make, that it's other people's problems, that I'm not someone who falls for these biases, but I realized I totally fall for them. In fact, as I was reading the book, there were three biases that popped out on one single page. Here's what happened. As I was reading, I took a break to think about what I had read, and I started to daydream about selling my house. It was something that I don't know if I'm actually going to do, but it was something fun to think about. But as I was thinking about it, the process I was going through was completely biased by the things that Thaler was talking about. That is, I had read about the mistakes that other people were making, and in a break from the book, the very next thing I did was make those exact same mistakes. Here's what I did. I fell for the endowment effect. I thought how much our house has appreciated since we've owned it. We've installed a new patio, a new roof, and a new HVAC system. The house sits on a wooded lot and it's in a good school district. But I realized that much like the students with the coffee mugs, I had overvalued each of these things. How do I know that I've overvalued each of these things? Because I've seen it in action. I've been on the other side. In each house my wife and I have bought, the seller brings us a list of things that they did to fix up the house or attributes of the house that they think is valuable. And each time my wife and I are like, so what? Owners overvalue the things they have in the same way that ownership increased the value of those coffee mugs for the Cornell College students. We've overvalued our house based on the fact that we own it. The second bias that I made, the second mental mistake, was the mental accounting that I used. Like a student who blew through their entertainment budget, I was thinking in terms of a house budget. I was comparing this hypothetical selling price in my mind to our buying price and to our mortgage balance. Now, it would be nice, and to some people it's a necessity, to sell the house above what you owe, but it's not an iron law. You have a collection of financial assets, and a house is one of them. And if you really want to sell the house, you should sell the house for some price that makes uh, that makes you happy, that brings you utility, that you find valuable. And the amount you owe on the mortgage and the amount you pay 
should be irrelevant to that discussion, but it wasn't as I was thinking about it. I had the same mental accounting of jars and entertainment budgets that Thaler noticed in these college students that he looked at. The third area I made a mental mistake in was in framing. I thought about what an appropriate listing price would be based on the selling price that I hoped for. Maybe you would list it at 10% more than you would take. Then I asked Siri to remind me to Google it later. I should have said to check page 131 of Misbehaving, and this is what Thaler write. Quote, Both buyers and sellers feel entitled to the terms of trade to which they have become accustomed and treat any deterioration of those terms as a loss. End quote. People have gotten used to paying less than the listing price. It's part of the framing that goes along with buying a house. And so you would need to account for that because if you listed your house at the price that you hoped to sell your house, then the people who might buy your house have a certain frame that they're approaching it at and they won't get the transaction utility that's associated with paying less than a suggested retail price or a listing price. So in summary, we should remember that people are not econs. People are not perfectly rational agents. Fowler quotes Ken Arrow, who said, quote, We have the curious situation that scientific analysis imputes scientific behavior to its subjects. End quote. That is, we have fine and precise models about evaluations and objectives for subjects who do little of that and who are not fine and precise. Do not confuse precision of statistics for accuracy in real life. Instead, we should understand that expectations, references, suggested retail prices, listing prices, and experiences matter. The under-promise, over-deliver adage sprouts from this idea. The thing that people expect, their retail price, their reference class, matters a lot when people make a decision. These are the lessons that I took away from thinking about these ideas. One, if you're running a business, raise prices slowly for repeat customers and offer free things they value but are cheap for you to provide. For infrequent customers, their purchase is part of a larger package and they'll be less sensitive to price changes. Two, if you're selling a house, understand the fungible nature of money. Be willing to come down from a listing price so people feel like they got a deal and realize mental headwinds the endowment effect creates for the seller. If you're a customer, Limit the ratio of transaction utility to acquisition utility. Don't buy something just because it's a good deal. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mike's Notes.